Good morning, everyone. My name's Janet, and I'm bringing two passages of scripture to you this morning. And the first one is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Najon, Najon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeoram. Jeoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azel, Azel, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. <laughs> Jeremiah is the second reading, and I'm reading from chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days... Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks so much, Janet. Far out. That was amazing. <laughs> I've not actually heard it read that well and clearly, so thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really great uh, to be here with you um, this morning. Um, it's great to be at 9.30. Um, I'm usually down at 10.30 uh, running youth stuff. Um, so uh, let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll unpack um, Matthew, Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Uh, thank you for, for church and for the um, amazing opportunity that it is to gather together, um, to hear your word read and explained and to pray together, to sing uh, your praises. We just ask that this morning you would help me to speak clearly and with, with wisdom and that um, all of our hearts might be softened, um, that you might change us to be more like your son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, all of our families have uh, Christmas stories, all of them. Um, I'm not sure uh, what you think of when you think of your family's Christmas stories. Um, what's your favourite Christmas family story? Some are hilarious. Uh, some, and many in my case, you cringe at. Uh, and some still have a tinge of sadness to them. The point is, we all have them. Um, but what about the bigger story, the larger, more overarching story of Christmas itself? I think on this there are three ways... Uh, for us to think about it in three ways to look at it. There's the night before Christmas. Let me read a bit to you. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung in the chimney with care in the hopes that St Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums dance in their heads.'" And it goes on. Or is it a sanitised version of Christmas? The scene that we see on so many Christmas cards a lot, a a suspiciously clean barn, wise men and animals attending a cute baby, angels hovering overhead, a scene that, while mostly true, doesn't give us the whole picture of that baby. These two stories aren't particularly satisfying, are they? Or is it the third option, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham? Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and on and on and on it goes. It's a really, really long list of names, and it kind of reads like a phone book. Uh, Riveting Storytelling 101 says you have to grab them on that first page. People will put the book down. Maybe a note for Matthew. Why why does he begin here, though, in such a kind of an uninspiring way? And why put this gospel with this beginning at the start of the New Testament? Let's be honest, it's kind of boring. Unless family trees are your thing, they're not mine, and even then, it's hard to kind of hold interest with people unless that family is your own and it's just a list of names. So what do we do? Do we read through it and go through the motions and then go back to old Saint Nick or clean barns and angels hovering? No, I don't think so. You see, this list of names is actually the best story ever written. And on top of that, it's not just a list of names that are off in the distance that we read. It's a story that involves you and me. Far more than some myth about snow or reindeer or whatever, and far more than just the front of a Christmas card. If Matthew begins uh, his gospel with this list of names, you can be sure of two things. The first of which is that there is a reason for that. And two, that this list of names is really, really important. The story, of, uh, the story that these names uh, represent is great news, great news worth celebrating. 
Let me give you some reasons from the passage why this story is one worth getting excited about. The old story of Jesus is a long one. If you have a look, uh, if you have the passage open in front of you in your Bible or on the handout, that'd be helpful. If you have a look down at the names uh, in verses 2 to 16, it's more than just a list of names. This is the story of a family from their beginnings with a man named Abraham and tracing them for some 2,000 odd years. Along the way, we meet some well-known names. As Janet was reading, I'm sure some of those names kind of stood out to you as well as some of them who definitely are not superstars. You'd be forgiven for, not, uh, for, for missing them as we read over them. The story of Jesus is not a new one, it's an old one. The story, uh, the, the story of it is a cross-section of history full of moments. Each name in that list is a lifetime spent. Joys and sorrows, loves, children born... Each is unique and many uh, we can and should go back and read about in the Old Testament. Uh, It's incredibly important stuff. Each of them is unique and yet together they thread through history. The history of a man whose name was Abraham who became a nation, God's nation, Israel. The story of Jesus is an old story. And to understand this story, to understand Jesus, we need to understand his place in this puzzle of history. If we want to know him, this is where we have to start. I think that's why Matthew has it right up front. We have to start here. He isn't just kind of some flash in the pan where he's here one second and then gone the next. His story is one with over 2,000 years of, of massive momentum. So the story of Jesus is a colourful one. I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are a few uh, here who have investigated their family trees. It's not really my thing, but I'm sure a couple of you find that really, really a lot of fun and spend evenings and weekends doing it. Great. Um, I know, uh, I don't know a whole lot about my extended family. What I do know is that my great-grandparents did have to flee Russia during the revolution. Um, they had to take up arms. They had to fight for their lives. I'm sure it was a harrowing experience for them. I'm sure that there are things that happened and that, happened, that have happened in all of our family's history, whether we know them or not, that we'd rather kept, keep hidden in our cupboard. Well, Matthew 1 is Jesus' cupboard. Let's be honest, if you look carefully, it's a pretty colourful story. Uh, the generation by generation, uh, it sets a pattern, one which gives the readers like a background rhythm. Uh, when we see that that rhythm is broken, that's when Matthew wants to draw our attention, to catch us. Let me give you a few examples. Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose name was Tamar. Then verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And on it goes. Women are mentioned amongst all of these male names. But why these women? Uh, Let's look a little closer and dig in. Well, firstly, Ruth and Rahab, famous outsiders. Uh, Here in a story about one nation, Israel, God's people, we have two women who joined from the outside. Ruth, a Moabite, a woman who bound her future uh, to that of God's people, and Rahab from a place called Canaan, who does the same thing. These women, outsiders, are crucial chapters in Jesus' story. 
They show us that Jesus' story is not just about pure bloods, about one uh, bloodline that just continues generation after generation. One nation, one culture. No, 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 no. In a time where this was ideal, a patriarchal society in ancient Israel, Jesus' story is a much more multinational, a much more patchy story. Well, what about Tamar, Rahab and Bathsheba? Those who have heard uh, these names before was, will know that this is not really the ideal lineup in your family tree. Their claims uh, to fame were, unfortunately, that uh, they were the victims and sometimes agents of sin, just like some of the men. Genesis 38, for example, Tamar, having suffered heartache of being widowed twice and the failure of her father-in-law to honour uh, the laws to protect and provide for her, she's driven to prostitution. This is part of Jesus' story. What about Rahab, an outsider, a prostitute herself? She shows courageous faith, risking her life uh, to protect Israelite spies. This is part of Jesus' story. And what about Bathsheba? That's probably, this name is probably one of the ones we do recognise. She was Uriah's wife, uh, the woman who King David pursued and slept with. She loses a child. This is part of Jesus' story. The story of Jesus is a colourful one full of deceit and jealousy, sexual sin and murder. It's the story of sinners and the victims of that sin. Definitely not a squeaky clean story. The good, the bad and the ugly, the really ugly are all here. The insiders and the outcasts. It's not a story of the few, it's actually all of our story. And as colourful as it is, we need to stop and see that the Old Testament and its history are important, really, really important. Every story, every life recounted, good and bad, they point to Jesus, they point to the Messiah. That this family tree should cause us to raise our eyes and to see Jesus for who he is. He is the King. So the story of of Jesus is the story of David's son. Later in Matthew's uh, gospel account, the crowds will ask of Jesus, can this man be the son of David in in chapter 12? Here as Matthew begins his account of Jesus' life, we get the answer. Jesus is being announced as royalty, the great king of Israel, the, the title pointed forward to the conquering Messiah, the one who would come to save to rescue God's people, to destroy the enemies of Israel and establish God's kingdom forever. But in Matthew's account of the man, he says that he's the son of David. It has no hint, uh, that title, of a, of a military king or a conquering ruler. Listen to, to Jesus' own words from a bit later in, in um, Matthew's Gospel. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. What did Jesus come to do? What what does all that history, all that momentum result in? He came to die. And what about the type of king that he will be? Listen to his words again a little bit later in Matthew's Gospel. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
and whoever wants uh, to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the son of David, the promised king, the Messiah. He hasn't come to rule as we see so many humans king, human kings have, uh, that they have ruled in the, in the past and current leaders, how they have ruled uh, at the moment. He's not like them. He came to serve us by laying down his life. So the fir- uh, in, in the first verse of the gospel uh, uh, is the one who brings rescue and that rescue is declared. Jesus, the son of David, this is the one. The son that all 2,000 years of history recorded in verses 2 through 16 is focused on, the long-awaited king. All names lead to him. Uh, uh, the first group, starting with Abraham, track the origin and rise of the king. The second group, starting with David, see the decay and the downfall of the kingdom. And the third group sees the history of the kingdom bubbling away below the surface as history moves slowly towards Jesus' arrival. And as Matthew's gospel concludes in chapter 28, we see the risen Jesus lay claim to the kingdom as he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Friends, Jesus is David's greatest son. This list of names should ring the proverbial bell for us to remind us that David's greatest son has arrived. The forever king has arrived, the greater David. Uh, The story of Jesus is the story of actually Abraham's son too. The story of, of Jesus is the story of David, but David's story is actually Abraham's story. We only understand the hope attached to David if we understand who Abraham was. He's the original, he's the OG, the one who puts Israel on the path to becoming a great nation, a blessed nation, a nation that will bless the world in turn. He is the bearer of that promise. He marks the moment in time when God responded to a cursed world. If you go back and read, things are bad in the lead up to Abraham with the promise of unbelievable blessing that would spread, and I quote, to every family on the earth. But as you trace the history of Israel through the names of of Matthew 1, it's difficult to see how this nation, this family, would be a blessing to their own family, let alone every other nation on earth. But all along the way, this promise fills this history, this promise of David who would rule forever and the promise of blessing are forever bound together. This hope of mercy and of life and of sight and purpose that the king will bring to Israel is promised to spread to every family on earth. So when the prophet Isaiah speaks of the son of David, he looks forward to the day when, in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the, water, as the waters cover the sea. Matthew's Gospel Uh, opens by saying yes Jesus is the blessing deliverer and when the account concludes in Matthew 28 all those chapters later this is made explicit again by the risen Jesus when he to whom all authority has been given to him says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in him in the baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit but friends Let's, let's think a bit deeper again. 
The story of Jesus is actually a really satisfying one. So there is the story of Jesus, the one who carries the weight of 2,000 years of history, a burden indeed, a long-hoped-for but satisfactory conclusion to this long and colourful and sometimes even dark story, a satisfactory fulfilment of a 2,000-year-old promise. Chapter 1, verse 17, emphasises that Jesus is at the end of, the, of this long sequence. As Matthew, as Matthew sits there and he looks at this mess of names, a mess of history of, of wrong turns, of colourful characters, of dark deeds, and he, like us, sees the mess that we humans have made over time. But then he looks at Jesus. And in verse 17, he looks at the names again and he sees a beautiful picture. What does he see? Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, four from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ, to the Messiah. With the coming of Christ, you can at last see the shape of history, the shape of God's good purposes. Only when we see Jesus do we see the pattern of history, and not just the history of Israel, no. As Genesis 12.3 says, the history of all the families of the earth including yours, here on the North Shore of Sydney, some 4,000 years after that promise was made and some 2,000 years since the promise's keeper, Jesus, arrived. Matthew looks back and sees three uh, huge turning points along the way. The promise to Abraham, the rise of the great king, David, a man after God's own heart, the collapse of Israel into exile, And now here at last, the final and crucial turning point in all of history, Jesus, in whom all the promises of God are satisfied. All the hopes for God's king are satisfied. All the wrong turns of history are righted. All the sin, all the regrets, all the the victims, the widows, the people hurting, all the giant stuff-ups, are satisfied in a king who comes not to be served, no, but to serve and to give his life for us. To give his life as a ransom for the many. And how many is the question? Well, in 121, we get the answer. For the sins of the whole, for the whole world. For me, a sinner, a rebel. That is uh, news worth celebrating. For me and for every sinner here, this is the best news that you will ever hear. Precisely how, though, will be spelled out by Matthew uh, in the pages and chapters that follow, as again and again he shows us how 2,000 years of hope and longing and expectation are satisfied in the momentous days which he recounts for us. But for now, let me ask you, which Christmas satisfies? Which one makes a difference to our lives? Is it old Saint Nick? Or a sanitised version of Christian where a baby is born, but that's kind of where we leave it and we don't think about it ever again. Don't get me wrong, Christmas is fun. It's filled with holidays, thank you Lord, Uh, presents and food and family and if you're lucky, no heartburn. But when we think about it, when we really, really uh, spend a moment considering, we don't want to wait to the night before Christmas 
or even a cute baby who we just forget about. But we want to wait to life and to life this side of heaven. I don't know about you, but in the, in the end, these lesser types of Christmas, they don't do the job of satisfying me long term. We spend months uh, planning it. My mum, my some of you know her, she's over at 10.30. She starts thinking about Christmas in February, and I'm not joking. I, she starts thinking about it in February. She asks, who wants presents and what do you want in December? I don't know. Um, the stress of finding gifts for people, of cooking ridiculously large birds that no oven can or should comfortably accommodate... All of these things for one 24-hour period that is gone for the year, just like a page off the calendar. Instead, this Christmas, let me encourage us all to read the old story of the new beginning that God offers our families in Jesus Christ. The King who is long hoped for, the King who comes to bring blessing to every family on earth, the only one who can ultimately bring that blessing... The challenge for us all in this passage this morning is for us to make Jesus the centre of our Christmas. The long-promised King has arrived. He is alive and he deserves to be at the centre. He has come to bring, every, uh, to bring blessing to every family on earth and not just for one 24-hour period that's co- that comes and goes, but for our eternity. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you so much that uh, you love us, uh, that uh, through Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 17, we see uh, your good plan uh, for our salvation, that we see Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, help us, Father, to uh, this Christmas uh, figure out ways that we can put him at our centre, that we can make the day about him and the blessing that he brings. Amen.